That was almost even better than a Methodist standing ovation. I tell you, y'all are charged up this morning. We're listening for the voice of truth today. And as we conclude our Luke series, The Extraordinary Story for Ordinary Time, uh, as we wrap that up, I'm going to kind of miss it. I don't know about you, but I've had so many people respond to this series and, and express appreciation for it. Well, we'll have to see what comes this next year. But for now, let's take a look in Luke's 21st uh, chapter, beginning with the fifth verse, hearing what the extraordinary story says for us today. Let me invite you to stand in honor of the reading as it contains the words of Christ. When some were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, he said, As for these things that you see... The days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. They asked him, Teacher, when will this be? And what will be the sign that this is about to take place? And he said, Beware that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name and say, I am he, or the time is near. Don't go after them. When you hear of wars and insurrections... Don't be terrified, for these things must take place first, but the end will not follow immediately. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, and in various places famines and plagues, and there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. But before all this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you, They will hand you over to synagogues and prisons, and you'll be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify. So make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance, for I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers by relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name. But not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your souls. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Be seated. Well, let me ask you a question this morning. Um, well, choir, you missed this too uh, in the earlier service. Um, do you remember the 70s? Uh, what are some of the things that you remember about the 70s? I remember big bell bottoms on the bottoms of blue jeans. I remember uh, lamb chop shaped sideburns that uh, men wore. What are some of the things that you remember? Just throw them out. Lava Wait, what, what? Lava lamps. Lava lamps. Love it. Elvis died. Elvis died. Yes. What was this? Tie-dyed shirts. Yes. Leisure suits. <laughs> How many of you have a leisure suit hanging in the closet at home? Yeah, Okay. <laughs> Um, what else? Disco came along. That's right. That's right. Well, you know, I guess part of, oh, what was that? I missed it. 
Di- oh, Charlie was discoing. Oh, nice, Charlie. I like that. I like that. Well, you know, I remember things about uh, about the seventies. Um, I remember that everybody could hardly wait every week to see what Marsha Brady was wearing, you know, that week, or what Greg had on, you know, and he had the big bell bottoms, and uh, we've discovered that ruffles on your shirt were okay for men, big, long, pointed collars and things like that. Uh, And John Denver came along, you know, and we thought that everybody should live in the mountains. Um, But let... Maybe you remember also that the 70s were not all just easy. It wasn't all groovy, <laughs> you know. Um, because you remember the country was at war. And there was a lot of social upheaval that was taking place. And we began to get uh, some things in our culture that were pointing to the end of time. Of course, I've alluded to the exorcist before. But then also after the exorcist came along, the Omen series, do you remember that? Still can't stand that classical music that they played in that. Uh, And then we got into the 80s and we got the Left Behind series, you know. There was so much social upheaval that was taking place. I remember seeing a bumper sticker during that time that uh, said, Caution, in case of rapture, my husband will be driving. So you've got to catch that. But there was a lot of upheaval. And people were looking for answers. And they were asking those questions. Is this the end of times? And then Waco happened. And we realized that there were people who were really caught up in what was taking place. Well, as much as that became the topic of conversation in the 70s and the 80s, it was a major topic in the earthly days of Jesus as well. All three of our synoptic gospel writers, Luke and Matthew and Mark, down there in their boxes again today, indicated a wide interest in the topic and in many of the communities where the gospel writers were writing. William Barclay, in looking at this passage for today, says that just right from the, well, in in verse 5, Everything just becomes troubling in this chapter as we read through it in in Luke 21. And there are four different concepts that Barclay thought it's important for us to realize are intermingled here in this passage. The first one's this. In the background to the passage is the concept, the Old Testament concept of the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. And as far as the Jews were concerned, time was divided into two different categories. One was the present age, which was evil and fit for destruction. And then there was the age to come, which was characterized by the golden age of God and Jewish supremacy and the reestablishment of Jerusalem, that sort of thing. Uh, Between the two would be the day of the Lord which was characterized by destruction and upheaval and the desperate birth pangs of the new age that was to come. It was a day of terror. And while we heard from the 65th chapter of Isaiah a description of things to come and what it would be like on God's holy mountain in the day to come, Isaiah 
earlier on talks about the day of the Lord. He said in the 13th chapter, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, cruel both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. The day of the Lord was one of the basic concepts of religious thought in the time of Jesus. And everyone knew these terrible pictures that were painted by the prophets. But then secondly, in our passage for today in verse 6, we, we hear echoes of the predictions of Isaiah and Jeremiah about the prophesied fall of Jerusalem. The fall of Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem fell to Roman armies commanded by Titus in the year 70 A.D. And after a desperate siege that uh, carried on for months, the inhabitants of Jerusalem were, fell even into cannibalism, and the city had to be taken literally stone by stone. And in the end, the At the temple mound, not even one stone was left unturned. No one stone stacked on top of another stone. According to Josephus, over a million people died as part of this siege. And following it, 97,000 were carried away into captivity. In early Christian circles, the destruction of Jerusalem was seen as an eschatological sign or a sign of the end times and their impending doom. But then we get a third concept, the persecution to come. Jesus clearly foresaw and foretold terrible things his people would have to suffer for his sake in the days to come. And then fourthly, we get the second coming of Christ. By looking at the words of Jesus, we see that Jesus was sure that he would come again. And so was the early church, sure that he would come again. But remember that much of the older imagery having to do with the day of the Lord gets attached to the second coming of Christ. And before the second coming, it was expected that many false claimants to be the Christ would arise and that there would be people that wanted to predict what was going to happen and there would be great upheavals that would take place. It'll serve us well to remember that we have a a combination of things, not one consistent idea, but several connected ideas here that Luke portrays for us. But this passage from Luke joins the prediction of the destruction of the temple with teaching on the coming of the Son of Man. Add to that the Old Testament expectations the pending threats that they see coming, and you have a powerful moment on the horizon for the early church as they looked ahead. Many times these four concepts, the day of the Lord, down through the second coming of Christ, are layered one on top of the other, often in a mishmash of theological eschatology. If you look at verses 8 through 11... They deal with the three signs of the end. Jesus is saying that there'll be false messiahs and false calculators of time and space. There would be wars and insurrections and international conflicts. And there would be natural disasters and comic terror. Comic. Cosmic terror. Cosmic terror. 
Now, of course, there have always been those ready to predict the end of days. Most recently, of course, based on the Mayan calendar. Do you remember that? What was it? 12, 12, 12, December the 12th, 2012. And they produced a movie all about it. Well, we're still waiting, you know, we're still waiting. What international conflict would you want to pick exactly? World War II, the biggest one we know. 9-11, the one most recent terrible tragedy here in our country. But it seems like there's one every day, an international conflict. What natural disaster? If you wanted to pick 2005 as a year, as a candidate, uh, it would be a good one. We experienced Katrina and then the awful tsunami that wiped out so many areas in the Indian Ocean. But that which is of ultimate importance, according to Luke, in hearing the words of Jesus, is the call to faithful witness when we're under duress and even pain. Jesus says, because of their faithful witnesses, the disciple will be delivered up before synagogues and before governors and kings. They're assured, however, that in those crises, they will be given a mouth and wisdom in which no opponent can contradict. Christians are warned that they'll be betrayed by relatives and friends, that some of them will suffer death, and that all will be hated because of their devotion to Jesus. Beyond that is the assurance that although the persecutors can kill in a physical sense, in a far more important sense, you will be kept safe. Endurance and faithfulness are the keys to life as Luke sees it. But no matter how unpredictable life might become, no matter what we find in end times yet to be. There's some basic things about Jesus that are communicated here, reiterated in this passage. Things that we can count on, and we need to be reminded of those. One is that Jesus sees the avalanche of history coming. He sees what's coming for him, coming for his disciples, coming for the early church. And others might be blind to the approaching disaster that's in front of them, but he saw that avalanche about to descend upon him and upon them. Jesus also honestly, again, portrays the cost of discipleship. This, he says to his disciples, is what you must expect if you choose to follow me. Jesus believed in people enough to offer them the way, not of an easy way, but rather the way of heroes. And he says it's going to be costly. Jesus also promises to be with them. And the promise that we hear communicated to us in the 25th chapter of, of Matthew, or the 28th chapter of Matthew, his promise to be with them even until the end of the age echoes here. And then we are reminded that Jesus assures their ultimate survival. Not one hair on your head, he says will be harmed. The one who walks with Christ may lose their life, but they can never lose their soul. So the disciples are advised that the end is not yet, and therefore they're to be neither led astray, nor are they to be terrified. 
In light of these predictions and the immediate expectation of their fulfillment, how could they avoid it, though? How could they not be afraid? How could they not perhaps be led astray? There are a couple of important things that I want to share with you that I think are important for us as we seek to face those thoughts of end times. Or perhaps you just simply feel like the bottom of your life is falling out. Or perhaps the community in which you live, the larger community, is just simply going, going away, going where it, not where it needs to be. Perhaps you feel like the world is just all going downhill. So, a couple of things. The first one is, live like there's no tomorrow. And the second one is, don't live like there's no tomorrow. <laughs> Let me tell you what I mean. Live like there's no tomorrow. Be prepared. Be prepared. My buddy Glenn Weigel that I shared ministry with in Columbus used to say, heaven is a pre- the prepared place for prepared people. He said, it's the place prepared for prepared people. And just because eternity can seem like such a long time, don't let it put you to sleep. Don't feel like you've just got all the time in the world so you don't have to work on it so hard and you'll put it off and do it tomorrow. Be prepared. Someone asked me one time, so how long is eternity? And I reached back into a seminary description I heard from a seminary professor because we, lived, we were in Atlanta, and of course outside of Atlanta is Stone Mountain, the largest granite outcropping of rock in the world. And the professor says, well, think of it this way. You know how a bird will go to a rock and they'll rub on the rock to sharpen their beak, and a few grains of, of sand or pieces of the rock will fall off. He says, well, imagine that bird going to Stone Mountain and, and rubbing his beak on Stone Mountain and pieces of sand falling off. He says, how long it would take that bird to wear Stone Mountain down to the ground is a second in eternity. A long time. But what we have to be careful is we not get put to sleep. Don't fall asleep simply because you think you've got a long time. Be prepared. Do you remember the parable about the maidens in Matthew 25? Ten maidens, five who keep their lamps full of oil, the wicks trimmed. And when the master comes, they're ready. But the other five are not. And Jesus is saying, be prepared. Have things in order so that when it comes, you'll be ready. There'll always be people who claim to know it all, think they know all the answers, know the whole truth. But Jesus says, don't believe it. Don't believe it. I'm going to do my best to be prepared today. And if you'll stay prepared, you'll worry less about the bottom dropping out of the planet and much less dropping out of your own life. So, live like there's no tomorrow. Be prepared. But then, don't live like there's no tomorrow. Stay engaged. Mark Twain used to say, 
don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. I think he means don't be so focused on heaven that you somehow miss the world around you. Hear the challenges. Take up the the ministry of birthday gift for Christ. Realize that there are people living broken lives that they need help with. And so we have to jump in and be a part of their lives. Karl Marx believed that religion had caused the masses to overlook the present suffering of this world and and the struggles that they endured. It was the opiate of the people. And faith that draws the Christian out of the here and now is precisely that. If it's got you thinking about heaven so much that you miss the world around you, then it's misled you. The world needs a prepared Christian who is attuned to the physical, emotional, and spiritual needs of the world. A Christian who is ready to run into the places of brokenness to bring life and joy and hope. To bring Jesus. Don't live like there's no tomorrow. Like today doesn't matter. Because it does stay engaged. Jesus seems to be saying to us, don't get caught up in the signs and wonders. Get get caught up in your faithfulness, in your constant preparedness. Live a ready life. This is the call to us. The end is not yet. This is the time of testimony, and in this time, disciples will experience suffering. They are not exempt. While Christians might like to think that they'll be spared from all of that, there are no scenes here of cars crashing into one another on the highways because their drivers have been blissfully raptured. Jesus' word is still forceful. This will be a time for you to bear testimony. By your endurance, by your faithfulness, you will gain your lives. Two last challenges. First, take a look at your life, examining all of the ways that you are or are not living a prepared life. And talk about that with a friend or your spouse. And secondly, suppose you observe natural disasters and cosmic terror. What would be your first move? Why not make that move right now? And then I'll add a third. Read the whole gospel of Luke if you haven't done it yet because it will benefit your life. As we close today, we sing number 157, Jesus shall reign And if God's calling you to lead a more prepared life, to be more engaged with the world around you, hear the words of Christ who calls us to faithful witness, that calls us to endurance. And if he calls you to the altar to pray while we sing, while we benedict, while we head out of the building, you can just keep praying. If that's where he's leading you, 